0: We're going to get going on 1 Samuel 18-21. through Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Uh, Thank you for the message that I got to hear this morning on the book of the Revelation. Uh, So well done, so well presented. Thank you for that encouragement. And so interesting that we would be talking about almost the same topic tonight. Uh, Thank you. You must really want me to to listen to this and understand it and take it in. And so thank you for that uh, double message that I'm getting today, and I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would hear what your spirit wants to teach them. And pray for this all tonight, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, First Samuel, monarchy. Uh, it's been... A couple of weeks since we've been together, and so let me quickly go over 1 Samuel. It covers a time of transition from no king to our king. Remember we started with Samuel, no king, to Saul, our king, the people's king, to God's king, David. Israel has asked for Saul, but he doesn't have the character He doesn't deserve the throne, and he continues to fight against God's will. Israel needs David, an obedient son, a humble servant, and a victorious soldier. In our last lesson, David conquered the giant Goliath. And so here's a timeline. I think Laurie put this in your notes, right? You got a timeline in your notes? And so you can see uh, the dagger That means there was a battle. And then you can see, here's when Samuel started, roughly. Saul started kind of right here. Samuel probably back here, actually. Saul starts in 1050, goes to 1010. David goes from 1010 to 970. Solomon 970 to 930. They each go 40 years, roughly. And so you can see in here, here's the big battles and the big things that happen. Uh, David's been anointed last time. He fights Goliath right here, right after he had been anointed probably. He's not king yet. Saul is still king. So here's David and Goliath. It's going to be another 10 years or so, 10 or 12 years before David becomes king. But David has just conquered the giant Goliath. This time, 1 Samuel 18 through 21, David fights another giant, fear. Another giant, fear. Uh, It's a giant you and I face, I would say. Probably even on a regular basis. I remember this was years and years ago. Uh, I got a phone call. This was probably, I don't know, 6.30 at night. So it was a very strange time for the doctor's office to call. So the doctor's office called me, and I had just been in for, a, don't know what, physical or something. And um, the individual on the phone said, you know, is this Bill? Yes, it's Bill. Um, I have some test results for you. Okay. Okay. your liver numbers look really, really bad and wrong. And we think you probably have liver cancer. And so we'll, we'll need to see you as soon as possible. Fear. Fortunately, that was not true. Fear. Uh, maybe you fear your own failing health. Maybe the failing health of a loved one. Maybe for you it's finances. The what ifs of your imagination reach in and grab a hold of you and shake you. Uh, maybe it's the fear of being laid off or losing your job, the fear of not measuring up, or the fear of being alone. I don't know what your fears are. We each have our own. But the giant of fear is real for you and for me. And the giant of fear was real for David. And the scriptures fortunately tell us what David did and give us some lessons. How do we handle fear in our own lives? So look at that with me, if you will. Here's the bottom line for tonight. If you remember nothing else, remember this. Fear that doesn't send David running to God sends David running from God. Fear that doesn't send David running to God sends David running from God. Chapter 18. David is finished talking with Saul. He meets Jonathan. They had probably met before that, but there is a uh, a bond of friendship, brotherhood between those two young men. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine... Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens thousands. This made Saul very happy. Oh, no, that's not what it says. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You know, it's interesting. We use a lot of times envy and jealousy. We use them almost interchangeably. Thank you. <laughs> Jealousy wants to protect what it has. Envy wants what it doesn't have. So Saul is keeping a jealous eye because he's trying to protect what he has. What does he have? He's the king. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men. David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. David's faith in chapter 18 is overcoming trials. The first one he gets is a trial of praise. Proverbs 27, 21 probably a familiar proverb to you 27:21 fire tests the purity of silver and gold but a person is tested by being praised how differently praise affected david and saul next is starting in verse 12 Uh, David seems to have been in charge of the entire army in the beginning of this chapter, and then he gets demoted to only being in charge over a 1,000. And so he goes through a trial of demotion, but maintains his humble spirit. Look at verse 14. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. Saul demotes him. David says, gotcha, I'm still going to give it my all. He has a humble spirit, he stepped into it. A trial of disappointment in 17 through 30, David marries Saul's daughter, finally, right? Remember, Saul was going to give his daughter to the person who would um, defeat Goliath. So one day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter Merab as your wife. But first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. (laughs) Like he hasn't already. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. David says, who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law? David exclaimed, My father's family is nothing. Verse 19, so when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Merib in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from um, Mahala. What? What has happened here? In the meantime, Saul's daughter Michael had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he heard about it. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines, Saul said to himself. But to David he said, today you have a second chance to become my (laughs) son-in-law. Then Saul told his men to say to David, the king really likes you and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, Tell David that all I want for the bride price is a hundred Philistine foreskins. Yeah. <laughs> Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. But what Saul had in mind was David would be killed in the fight. David was delighted to accept the offer. Before the time limit expired, he and his men went out and got 200 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, here's here's the first hundred and here's the second hundred. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all of them to the king. So Saul gave his daughter Michael to David to be his wife. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. Disappointment. He was supposed to marry the older daughter. Saul does some switcheroo, and he winds up with Michael. She loved him, so that sounded great. He's a resilient young guy, he still gave it his best effort after the, the, uh, the uh, um, situation changed, he still went off and did twice as much as what he had been supposed to do. What do we call it? Over-delivered. David's faith overcomes trials. Chapter 19 Saul now urged his servants and his son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. What do you see happening here with Saul? (laughs) This plane is going into a spin. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me And I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. So he goes out and he talks with his dad. Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David, told him what happened. He brings David back. And David served in the court as before. War broke out again after that, and David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way, and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. So what does he do? Runs home. What a good idea. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. (laughs) This guy is getting determined to kill David. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window, and he fled and escaped. And then we don't read the next part. Then she took an idol and put it in his bed. What? Michael seems to have an idol in the house. I don't, can't tell you why David is okay with that. You're like, why is David okay with that? I don't know. If you'd like, you can write a paper on it. I'd love to learn the answer. <laughs> Sign it, please. Turn it in. I'd be happy to read it. So he, she covers up. She makes this idol seem like David. Saul is ready to... Uh, They come to arrest him. She says, well, he's sick and he can't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to get David. He ordered, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair at its head. Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded of Michael. I had to, Michael replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. No, no. So David escaped and went to Ramah to see Samuel, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. Then Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. When the report reached Saul that David was at Naoth in Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also began to prophesy. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. The same thing happened a third time. Finally Saul himself went to Ramah, and he arrived at the great well in Seku. Where are Samuel and David, he demanded. They are at Naoth and Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Naoth and Ramah, the Spirit of God came even upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy all the way to Naoth. He tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, what? Is even Saul a prophet? (laughs) Chapter 19. After chapter 18, David's faith overcomes trials. 19, fear turns David to others. First, he looks to Jonathan for help, or at least trusts Jonathan to intervene with Saul. And it seems to work temporarily. Then he looks to Michael for help. Yes, I can't explain the idol in his house. I'm sure a lot of good people have. You should probably read what they say and believe them. I don't know. But he looks to Michael for help, and finally he turns to Samuel for help. Perhaps at least there's some prayer possible from Samuel. And remember, spiritual intervention usually provides a way of escape. And so fear is beginning to turn David to other people. Chapter 20, David now flees and he finds Jonathan. What have I done? What is my crime? How I have how have I offended your father that he's so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. You're not gonna die? He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. So David takes an oath before Jonathan and says, "I swear to you that I am only a step away from death." Tell me what I can do, Jonathan exclaimed. And so they concoct this scheme that uh, David's going to go hide in the field. Jonathan's going to come shoot some arrows, but he's got to go find out what's in Saul's uh, in Saul's mind. And so. Tomorrow, verse 18, then Jonathan said, "Tomorrow we celebrate the new Moon festival. You'll be missed. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place. I'll come out and shoot three arrows, etc., etc, etc. And they make up this lie. Tell your dad this, and see what happens." And so the first day, David isn't at the festival, and he's missed, but Saul doesn't think too much about it. Uh, Saul didn't say anything about it that day, for he said to himself, something must have made David ceremonially unclean. But when David's place was empty again the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. False. He said, please let me go, for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there, so please let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan, and he says some things to him there. Uh, Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death, Jonathan asks his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on that second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. And he sends David the signal with the arrows, and they meet up. And they part ways. David runs to Nob to see Ahimelech the priest. He needs some food and some weapons. So he shows up to Ahimelech. Uh, He trembles when he sees him. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. Lie. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. Lie. I have told my men where to meet me later. Lie. Now, what is there to eat? Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have. Well, we don't have any regular bread, the priest replied. But here's the holy bread, because they just replaced it. So he takes the holy bread, and then he says, I need a weapon. Right? Well, there's nothing else here but Goliath's sword. All right, I'll take that. Now, Dog the Edomite was there that day, having been detained before the Lord. And so he takes the sword and he leaves, but there's some foreshadowing in verse 7. That's not going to turn out good for Ahimelech. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. Gath of the Philistines. David escapes from Saul and goes to King Achish of Gath. But the officers of Achish were unhappy about him be, his being there. Isn't this David, the king of the land, they asked? The what? The king of the land. Uh, they asked, isn't he the one the people honor with dances, singing? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Akish of Gath might do to him. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. I'm just reading it. Finally, King Akish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? So 22-1, David's going to leave Gath and run to the cave. He's going to go to uh, his hideout. So chapter 19, 18, David's faith is overcoming trials. In 19, his fear begins to turn him to others for help. In 20 through 21, David is now turning to himself in his fear. He lies to Saul. He lies to Ahimelech. He lies to Achish. Fear has taken David from the royal palace right into the arms of the enemy. Right now, David is trusting himself, his own lies and schemes, rather than God to protect his steps and preserve his life. Has fear ever caused you to turn to others before you turn to God? Has fear ever caused you to lie has fear ever caused you to take matters into your own hands? If so, and it has for me, don't raise your hands. <laughs> then you know how David felt. David is trusting himself, his own lies and schemes, rather than God to protect his steps And preserve his life. Fear that doesn't send us running to God sends us running from God. Just like David. You know, fear does some things to us, it distorts our perspective. When we're afraid, circumstances become large, particularly when we're threatened with loss or when we're reminded of our own vulnerability. People become large, especially when they attack, oppress, or threaten us, when they expose us or humiliate us, when they reject, ridicule, or disparage us and god becomes small. Fear distorts our perspective. Fear incites our imagination. I know you've never done this. But in fear, have you ever taken, you know, it's like when you make a jigsaw puzzle, what's what's the, what are the first pieces you try to find? The corners. And then you start trying to find the edges right? And then you start grouping it into colors. If Larry does one that's all in black, that doesn't help you at all. <laughs> it's the worst kind of puzzle you could ever think of doing. You got to find those corners. If you didn't have the picture on the box and you had the one corner piece... Have you ever in your life had the one corner piece of the circumstance or the situation and you go ahead without the box, you go ahead and fill out the rest of the picture from the one corner that you have? You know what I'm saying? I see those nods. Thank you. From one puzzle piece, we can create the whole entire horrible picture of what's going to happen to us when we're afraid, right? Our imagination can grow a fear into something that can ruin our day or even rule our life. Silly, but do you remember George McFly in the Back to the Future? Remember, <laughs> You're No Good or whatever they, you know, Biff tells him all the time and so he winds up being that one guy but then he comes back later and he writes his book and He can do anything. Fear can ruin your day or rule your life. We may even become tempted to think God is punishing us for something when we get that little corner piece. Or for a time, we may even forget, in quotes, God exists. Or at least we act that way. Fear distorts our perspective, it incites our imagination, and it prompts us to take matters into our own hands. We might lie or scheme as David did. Problem, Romans 3.8. God says through Paul, it's never right to do evil that good may result. Fear can prompt us to take matters into our own hands, and we begin in thinking that uh, I, I need to do this in order that good may result. Things inevitably go from bad to worse when we depend on our own wisdom instead of God's word. Fear distorts our perspective. It incites our imagination. It prompts us to take matters into our own hands. And do you know some of the worst times that fear can grab you? I know you do. It's about 2 a.m. And all of a sudden, you're awake. And you begin twisting something around in your brain. And it goes around... And around, and you think, oh, I'm just going to push it out of my head. And you put your head on the pillow, and you close your eyes real tight, and the next thing you know is you're looking with one eye at the clock, and 20 minutes have gone by, and you're still awake. And what's that thing doing? Around and around. But it doesn't just stay in a circle, does it? It keeps getting bigger and bigger. And bigger, and we start imagining that one piece. Oh, this is probably what God's doing. It's probably because I ran that stoplight. Oh yeah. Oh gee. It's probably because I talked badly about. Mm, 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 mm. It's probably because I did. Mm, 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 mm. That's what's going on. Okay. And that whole little fight or flight thing kind of starts welling up in you and you're like, there's no way I'm going to bed, back to bed now. You ever had this happen to you or is this just me? All right, it's just me. That's right. I can deal with it. Um, I was, so when you think about these things, um, when, when God comes along and circumstances that are beyond our control... Occur, you can start taking that puzzle piece and creating all kinds of bad scenarios. Why don't we ever create good scenarios? I don't know, but we always create bad ones. <laughs> and so I am at the rocket factory, and it was uh, I worked in R and D, um, and. They came in for a contract, they gave, they gave us the contract, and they said, we want you to do something, they wanted us to shrink something to a size that, frankly, was impossible, but you, you don't say that, because if, if it really is impossible, then they really don't want to give you the money. So you know you say, yeah, I could probably do it, but as soon as they press you a little more, and you're like, well, I, I, there's a chance I can do that, not sure it 's really probable, but we can sure give the old college try, <laughs> and there begins to be a point where in your integrity, you kind of go i don 't really think I can sign up for this. This is pushing things beyond what I think might be reasonable uh, or even a stretch." So they pinned me down, and they said, "Well, we really want you to stretch, and we want you to sign up to do this and I said, gosh, I uh, talked over with my supervisor and I said, I just don't think we can get to this place. And he said, well, then you got to stand up and say that. So I did. (laughs) Uh, They decided to cancel the contract because that wasn't the answer they were hoping for. Um, Anyway, one thing leads to another. So I get the puzzle piece because um, now I have no contract, and so I, there's nothing supporting me there. So I'm laid off. So I have a puzzle piece. By the way, I've got a wife, two kids. They still like to eat. I don't know about, it's crazy. They wouldn't go on like a month or two long fast for this. They're so unreasonable. So I've got this puzzle piece. You can imagine what I'm Beginning to come up with the rest of this puzzle looks like, you know, we're living in the streets. Um, I, I don't know what's all happening. You know, we've got long beards or I got a long beard and, you know, everyone got their cups out and we're trying to beg for food. And, you know, your mind goes to this crazy town. Well, that was a circumstance the Lord used to bring us to this place. So not every puzzle piece you get is bad news. Some puzzle pieces are great news. You just don't know it yet. You say to me, well, I don't have any fears right now. Oh, really? How about this one? A fear that I might not be lovable. What a fear of a health issue popping up. About a fear of a financial crisis. we we'll just watch the news. They're telling you one's coming. One that could impact my job or my retirement savings. How about this one? Fear that if I do something... Or don't do something, the other shoe will drop in my life. Because what God has really determined is, Bill, you're just a little too comfortable right now. My job to shake your tree a little bit. Anybody ever have any fears like that? Well, you're Christians. I'm not. I think that stuff... Kind of, not all the time, but that stuff pops into my mind all the time. Crazy fears. What are we to do? Let's look again at Abraham, a walk of faith, not fear. Every one of us is given a God given circle of responsibility. Outside our God-given circle of responsibility are things we are concerned about, right? Now, if it's my responsibility, then I can likely yield some kind of influence or control, if you will, over that circle of responsibility. Um, If, so for instance... Is it, um, in this country, is it my right to vote? Yes. Am I concerned about who might be the next president? I might be very concerned about that. But can I influence that outcome? No, no more than me exercising my responsibility to make sure that I vote. That's it. So when it's in my God-given circle of responsibility, what am I to do? Obey. If the Bible says this is my area of God-given responsibility, I am to obey. But it's not what I'm concerned about. Because what I'm concerned about is always greater than what I'm responsible for. (laughs) What am I to do out there? Oh trust trust god trust and obey or there's no other way to be happy in Jesus and to trust and obey you're glad I'm not in the choir <laughs> me too there's the christian life right there if it's my area of responsibility according to the scriptures I am to obey it if it's in If it's something I'm concerned about, but I can't do anything about it, then am I to be fearful? No. I'm to obey what I can obey, and I'm to trust God for the rest. The result will be joy and peace joy and peace, even in the midst of one of those little puzzle pieces. You don't know what the rest of the picture looks like and neither do I, but you have one of those little puzzle pieces. And you say, hmm, I'm pretty concerned about what's going on out there. Or what my life, what, 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 what. Got it, got it. I'm concerned about things too. But they're not mine to make happen or to worry about. They're mine to trust God with. He is trustworthy. So far in 1 Samuel, have you seen any evidences that God is trustworthy? Yes? Part of why we're going through this. Guess what happens in the New Testament? There's more evidences of God being trustworthy. (laughs) Part of the reason we go through this, it takes us so long to get through this is there's so many great stories of God being trustworthy, but he doesn't have, he knows the answer to my puzzle piece and I don't, right, right, it's okay, trust him, no, I don't think I can, I need to obey where I can obey, where the scriptures are clear, and I need to trust what's left, and I will have joy and peace. Let me give you two examples. This is just from today. Um, Two people that I know, and I'm going to give you the answer that um, these two people, um, one, we're still not certain about his uh, condition. The other, uh, it looks like they're going to get better. Uh, They have loved ones who this morning came and told us about these things that their loved ones are experiencing. Did you get that? They came here this morning to worship. Their loved ones knew what they were doing. They came to worship. And then they're going to go continue to care for their loved one. You want to know what trust looks like? You go, whoa, that's foolish. Can they control the outcome of their loved one's health issue? Their loved ones knew what they were doing, agreed to it, so they went with their blessing, and they came here to worship. Lord, I will trust you, and I will worship you in my trust. This is just this morning. Two examples, and I'm sure there's another hundred out there. Amazing. Can you worship? Can you put feet to your faith instead of fear? Can you worship? I don't know if it'll get you back to sleep at 3 a.m. after you've been up for an hour. But it will have been an hour well spent instead of being fearful if you're worshiping. And you just lie there and worship. Have You ever done A through Z? You know what A through Z is? Think of an attribute of God that starts with A. A. He's almighty. B, he's benevolent. C, he's compassionate. D, see that? Go on through Z. Worship him for who he is. Like Cody had all the, you know, here's the son of man and he has all those things. Those, uh, here's what those titles mean toward Jesus. Worship him. Worship Him. Show the Lord you trust Him and worship. I've found it very difficult to not trust and worship. I have to pick one or the other. I'm going to encourage you to pick worship. And what do you have to do to worship? You've got to trust. Now, where can I trust? I can't control the outcome of this, but I know God can. I don't know what God intends, but I know God is good, and he's good all the time. In every situation, God is working for good. Every situation is not good. Do you understand that? But God works for good in every situation. where well, those he loves and are called according to his purpose. A walk of faith. This is what a walk of faith looks like. If it's my responsibility, I obey it. If it's outside of my responsibility, it's outside of my control, then I am to trust God. And I can worship him because he has the whole world in his hands. And he knows what he's doing. Run to God, not from him. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Again, more familiar verses to you. Paul has talked, remember when we went through Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, so this is at the end of 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he didn't spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day, we're being slaughtered like sheep. No! Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Have this on a note card when you wake up at 2 in the morning. Read it to yourself. Say, self, this is what's true. Not my imagination from this puzzle piece that I've created. This is what's true. Do A through Z. Do something. Worship God. Say, Daddy, I'm, right now it's hard for me, but I'm trusting you right now, and, and instead of being fearful, I'm going to worship. And I want my worship to reflect my trust in you. And so here I go. I'm going to worship you and worship him. And you know what's going to happen about E or F? Poof! There comes the big picture again. And you know what you do? Whew. Daddy, I'm on F. Here I come again. I'm coming with F. I'm starting here. I'm going to worship you and let my worship be my trust. And you keep going. You keep on going. I love this quote by John Newton. If the Lord be with us, we have no cause of fear His eye is upon us, His arm over us, His ear open to our prayer, His grace sufficient, His promise unchangeable. What a great quote. William Gurnall says, We fear men or circumstances so much because we fear God so little. Fear God alone alone. And run to him, not from him, to him. Fear him, trust him, run to him first, cling to him, and worship him. It's the antidote to fear. Selah. For next week... Our friend Lemma will be in town. And so Lemma will be able to share with you for 15 minutes or so. You'll get to hear what's uh, happening in the amazing country of Ethiopia and how God is using him there. And then we will finish 1 Samuel. So you have chapters 22 through 31 to finish up for next week. If you have a chance, give those a read. Uh, You'll be blessed by doing it. Let me pray for us, and we'll be on our way for tonight. Father, thank you for the look at David. Uh, we look up to David in so many ways, and in coming lessons, we're going to see why. But thank you that he is a man with uh, feet of clay, that he's a man who is subject to all the, the fears and, and foibles that we are. And it allows me to connect with him so much better. So thank you for his great examples to us and also those times when perhaps he was walking more in fear than in faith, because I know how many times I do that as well, and I can be encouraged um, at how you handled him in the midst of that. So thank you for these great examples, for these great men and women of faith. Uh, Continue to make us more like our beloved, greater David, the Lord Jesus, It's him we love, it's him we worship, and it's him we want to be more like every single day. Would you continue to lead us, guide us, draw us, woo us, change us, transform us more into his wonderful, beautiful, perfect image this week than last week. We love you and we worship you this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.